Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For much too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, and that leads to gender inequality in leadership and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We absolutely must change this, and I hope that many of you listening right now to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible in a way that works for you and for your families, so you can make the decisions that make our world and our organizations better places. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about giving parents the support and space to progress to senior leadership in a way that works for them and their families. We have lots of free events and also lots of resources on leadersplus.org where you can download helpful toolkits such as on returning from maternity leave, or securing a promotion as a working parent, or thriving or surviving, depending how you look at it as a dual career couple. We also have an award-winning global fellowship program for working parents who have big dreams for their careers, but don't want to sacrifice everything for it. You will join a tight-knit, supportive group of people. You'll get space to think about what you want for your life, for your family, for your career, a senior leader mentor and a lot of targeted support in order to get you where you would like to be. And you can find all that on leadersplus.org forward slash fellowship for the details. The next application deadline is on 20th March 2024 and you can download the brochure on leadersplus.org. Today I'm talking to Sonia Sudakar about resilience and getting to an exec director role. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you, first of all, so much for having me. I feel very privileged to be here. My name's Sonia Sadaka. I'm currently Managing Director of Marketing and Digital at the Royal Mail Group. I, in my family, is my wife, Triona, my 11, soon-to-be 12-year-old son, Finn, and our two-and-a-half-year-old Cavapoo dog, Murphy, just to be really clear. So yeah, we're one child, but in my extended family, are Finn's two dads, so his biological dad and his husband. So that's Chetan and Vic. Wonderful. And can you share one thing with us that you used to assume about combining a very big career with a young child? Yeah, I used to assume that you'd have to be across all of the detail, have done everything, know how to do every element of the job of anybody that you're managing and really be able to sort of deliver in that way or to have the knowledge and skills in each of those areas. And I think now it's much more about what you know rather than what you can do and how you manage things, how you lead. I think it's much more about how you deal with ambiguity, how you deal with kind of leadership challenges and, you know, motivate a team. And that was definitely different for me. So how that manifests is a difference in the scale of workload and how you manage your time. Because instead of doing you're leading. And that I think there is a real difference between those two elements. And the reason why you and I know each other is because you very generously devote your time to being a mentor to one of our fellows on the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. And I'm just interested, do you think realistically you just have to, I mean, and what do you tell your mentees, be that as part of Leaders Plus or elsewhere, about 
that do you have to work yourself into the ground to be in a senior role or not? What's the reality? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think it's really down to personal preference. I think when I mentor women, I would say more often than not, they have a really very extreme work ethic. Women that are ambitious, that are looking for a mentor relationship are invariably looking to progress. And most of the women that I've mentored believe sort of that approach that, you know, I had to work and work and work and work and work to get there. And actually what I try and tell them is just like stop and focus on both your skills and behaviors, but be very targeted about what you do. Because I think if you're a hard worker, you have a tendency to do more rather than to sort of work clever and box clever. And I think that's where I try and point my mentees into as an area to look at is be very focused on most important thing for me is like to really mindfully manage your career and understand where you want to go. Not to say it can't change, map out your path. I have a personal development plan that we can talk about later, which is a five-year view, three-year view and one-year view. And then be very targeted and focused about what will get you to your one-year view and break that down into skills and behaviors. And the behaviors are sometimes when you get to a certain point in leadership, the behaviors are actually more important than the skills and to recognize that. And that isn't, you can't achieve those behaviors just by grafting, grafting, grafting. There's different ways to kind of nail those behaviors, but it's not about putting in an extra 25 hours. Mm, Interesting. My agenda with this podcast, as you know, is I would love more of the listeners to get to the level that you are at. And I know many of them are already at that's the bottom line. So I'm just interested. You mentioned about these behaviors. Thinking back, are there any behaviors that you're now showing that you weren't showing 10 years ago when you're in a more junior role? What's the managing director? What behaviors do you need to show in order to be that? Yeah, I mean, there's several, but I think one would be taking a higher level, more strategic view, like getting out of the weeds, getting out of the detail, which I think is difficult when you are, when your job sort of expects you to be in the detail. So that one of the, being able to take strategic, big picture views and decisions, I think is one really important one. Together with that is that, I mentioned it before, being comfortable with ambiguity. So being able to flex, being able to be resilient to the things that can come and kibosh you, you know, can come and completely blindside you as well. How you sort of deal with those punches, whether that's the ambiguity of not knowing what's next or something that's kind of come and sidelined you. So kind of your resilience and reaction to that. And then thirdly is like the comfort and confidence in your own decision making, I think is a really key part that holds a lot of us back as parents, as mothers, as women, as any member of a diversity characteristic, I think confidence is the root. But confidence often is a blanket term used for so many other things, as imposter syndrome is. You know, I think there's there's mm-hmm. there's so much to unpack within there. And I think it's about like the leadership challenge or to get to seniority for me is about really understanding you and what the job needs and charting your path to achieving that in a, again, very targeted and focused way rather than kind of picking up all the buzzwords, all the things that you think that, you know, in the business books, it says that good leaders need and all the rest of it and trying to nail everything, just work out what you need to work on or what you need to build on and what you already bring to that. Interesting. Just talking to you, you come across as someone very confident, but somehow I've always struggled a bit with the word because maybe it's because I'm I need to be careful now what I'm saying because this is going out to more than a thousand people, but I would not describe myself as a confident person at all as my partner can attest to. 
And I think there's something I've landed on, which is courage that I think I'm just going to do it anyways. But you talk a lot about resilience and confidence linked to each other. And I'm just interested, how did you get that confidence to to trust in your own decisions? I don't want to like misconstrue. I'm not always like I have moments where I completely doubt myself. I think part of it is putting everything into perspective. So there have been times in my career where my career is everything and it's the most important thing to me. And in those moments, I haven't had that confidence. And it's hard to find that bravery or, you know, the feeling of confidence in my decisions or my actions. When I am a little bit detached from it, as in I don't care as much, it sounds terrible, but when I feel like, okay, it's just a job, then my confidence really rises, actually. And so we've talked about it before. I've got this concept that I was lucky enough to have a coach a while ago, and she spoke to me about this, introduced me to this concept of holding it lightly. And so sometimes when you go into a difficult situation and you've got your fists clenched and your you know your teeth gritted, the outcome is invariably always worse than if you walked into it with your palms open and your mind open to the situation. And I think like I've taken that with me a lot, and that for me is my sort of path to resilience is like to go in like to hold it lightly to keep perspective to remember that it's just a job and you know as parents we're really lucky because I think our kids give us that perspective because nothing to me no job could ever be more important than Finn so like for me he is my absolute kind of priority and so that actually did give me a lot of perspective when we had Finn that helped me grow in confidence because I cared less, I held the job thing, the career thing less tightly and that really helped me with that situation. So I'm not always confident. I feel like I have mentored, been mentored, I've like been coached. I have, I'm surrounded by really great people who I think will give me great advice and I listen to that a lot and I think that has given me the confidence as well. And also I've got a friend who has this saying that if the worst thing that can happen is acceptable to you, do it anyway. And sometimes I think like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen if I don't feel confident or if I'm feeling confident and it's the wrong direction or my confidence is misplaced, what's the worst that can happen? So I think the perspective thing is really important. Interesting. What you are saying makes me think of a book I'm reading at the moment. It's called Essentialism. It has actually been recommended to by one of our fellows, so thank you for that. And the gist of it is that there's a lot of research that if you focus on a few things and you hold them lightly and so on, you're much more likely to achieve a lot in life. But it's quite hard sometimes to decide. And, and you know, especially when you're a high performer, you've been used to trying to tick off everything. Yeah. And there is something about what you said, but deciding what is going to matter yeah. to get to that next level or to your family life, whatever it is. Can you give an example of how you made such a decision? Because that sounds very convincing on paper. I'm loving the book. But honestly, the practicality is a bit more challenging. Yeah, I think this principle of being single-mindedly focused about your career, like for me, that has allowed me to make choices when I'm moving jobs that will only benefit my upward trajectory. So I won't work for a brand that I don't feel has, you know, it's an established brand that is because most of my career has been in marketing it's very much 
you sort of are judged by the brands that you work for. So I just make very mindful choices about that. So I think that is like part of the, you know, shed everything else off. And it's not about, it's not always about the money. It's not always about, you know, the team size. It's not always about that. But at some points it is about those different things and being very focused. So listen to people that I listened to a recruiter that said, it's going to be hard for you to get to the next stage unless you've had scale team management. So, you know, a team bigger than 50. So I was very mindful about that. And I was like, okay, how am I going to get that in my current job? And when the opportunity came up, I got it. And I managed a team of 70. And then now I manage a team of 1,400 people. And so you kind of know what you need to get. And then you can just be focused on that. So I think for me, I've been that single-mindedness means that I might have tried to do many different things over my career, but I'm probably only trying to do one or two at a time. And those are the one or two that will get me to the next step. So it's sort of cutting up into bite-sized chunks. But that served me fairly well because it allows me to, you know, I've got the core principles of work for good brands, work for businesses that have a good purpose and value at their heart. You know, my core principles are there, but then the task to be done is very specific. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we probably should say to any listeners who are confused that Royal Mail and the post office are very different organizations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please, please, please spread the word. Yeah, Royal Mail isn't the post office, particularly given the current situation. And just looking at it from this resilient angle and the holding it lightly, which I think at our events the other day, you spoke about almost feeling like you're holding a bird. And I really like this. Oh, no, I didn't idea. say that. I wouldn't have said a bird because no. I'm scared of birds. But, um, oh, right. okay. <laughs> also, that, but see, that's a picture. That's I how I visualized for you. Yeah, interesting. But holding something delicate, yes. Like the difference yeah, exactly. between going in fist clenched or palms open and holding. Actually, in my visualization, it's palms completely empty, but just held up, mm. you know. And I think it's about like going in with no expectations, going in with an open mind and kind of open heart to things. Interesting. And what do you do practical to let go of something? Because you seem like a passionate person, driven yes. person. And I'm sure you have instinctive moments where you are, you want this, you want this role, you want this yeah. flexible working arrangement, whatever it is. How do you move from that to the other one? Yeah, with really great difficulty. I haven't nailed it. Like I, like I have to talk myself into it. I have to talk, again, talk to other people. I've got kind of a good support network to do it with. I do whenever I'm faced with something that's a really kind of sticky challenge or, or something that I'm finding difficult, I talk to loads of people about it. So I talk it out. It's my, my way of dealing with it. I think everybody deals with it in a different way. In the heat of the moment, when I'm dealing with something like that, if it's an on-the-spot situation, I wish I could just be that person to take a breath and say, let's not talk about this now. I will invariably have 20 minutes of conversation and then say, let's not deal with this now. I need to think about it. But what I do do is straight away, like as my mind is going into overdrive, I'll write stuff down, I'll write notes down so that I can start getting some clarity of thought so that I can handle it and so that I don't knee jerk and so that I say the things that are rational. And when I say rational, I want to make really clear that I don't think emotional is bad because I think this sort of association with women and emotion and it being a negative thing is a really terrible kind of direction for us to go. Like, It's one of our superpowers. We need to absolutely wrap our arms around emotion. But in that moment, what can derail the conversation for me is if I lose focus away from rational points. And so I try and write those rational points down because my passion, like it's in the polite word for, like I'm often just quite heated. I can be quite transparent. I've got quite a poker face so people can kind of see, you know, read what I'm thinking. I have to sort of try and draw myself back to the rational points. That's how I manage in the moment. And then 
The other way is talk to people who will talk me down off the ledge if I'm really passionate about something and it's not going my way. Mm. Interesting. So in a way, it strikes me that part of your resilience comes from having time to think. Is that fair? I mean, my nature is very much to sort of like deal in the moment and, Mm. you know, kind of spar and kind of get it in the moment. Like I have to really force myself to give myself that time to think. I would strongly recommend that everybody did it. I just, it doesn't come naturally to me. I have to really make myself do it. Very refreshing. I think it's quite good that you can be strategic and obviously, you know, in a very large organization doing very well. And that gives me hope. (laughs) Yeah, although, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate how much we are expected to respond in the moment. Like so much of your corporate reputation, your internal, you know, your sort of internal equity is based on how you react to stuff in the moment. Mm. I think that is... A pretty nerve-wracking thing when you're coming up in the ranks because, you know, you're expected to be eloquent. You're expected to reply with an intelligent answer to every question. You're expected to contribute with data, evidence. You know, actually, we need to remember that not everybody does. Sometimes people are just eloquent but don't have the substance, you know. And I think that's, yeah, it's slightly off topic, but I think it's a really interesting thing to unpick is respond in the moment versus with time to think, with time to prepare and stuff. I think it's something that is an unspoken leadership requirement that we have to adapt to. Yeah, when I think about the things that have been most valuable, my organization that I've done in the last year, were all decisions that I've taken, Hmm. where I've been lucky enough to take the right decisions. Yeah. And have you done Um, that with thought and consideration or? Well, actually, in hindsight, I, I think it was probably having something sat in the back of my head and then talking it through with different people in different yeah. settings, not actually planning to do so. So it but percolates just, for a while. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's really mm. interesting. And like, for me, the network is invaluable. My network is really invaluable. And I don't, when I say network, I don't mean people that I go and meet at networking events. I mean, people that I've met over time that I've built a relationship up with. And I think, you know, as you said, sometimes you can end up talking things over with them without the specific thing of, oh, can we have a chat about this? But it'll, mm-hmm. it'll come through and, and it helps your thoughts form. But I mean, everybody's different in their way of what helps them. But yeah, I think that can really help. It's true. Yes. I'm just reflecting actually that I don't do this at all, but as part of the fellowship, which is interesting in itself, but as part of our fellowship program, we make people think yeah. just by using the thinking environment. We give them space, we make them, we force them to sit down and think about what they want. And for many people, that is what is most powerful. So maybe in hindsight, actually, I should be doing yeah. that as well. <laughs> yeah. The concept of reflection, I think, is really important. But I think people reflect in different ways or think in different ways. Like some Mm. people, I'm like a self-confessed extrovert. So I think through talking, whereas I know a lot of people that I worked with or that are friends that would prefer to think through, you know, kind of just with themselves and just thinking themselves in quiet time, writing down or whatever, reflecting. Too often, organizational structures are not set up working parents to thrive and progress their careers. And that's one of the root cause for the frequent feelings of guilt or feeling stuck in our careers that many of us experience. It is a root cause of why so many parents are plateauing in their careers, which leads to that terrible lack of women in senior leadership. We at Leaders Plus help to change this through our amazing community of alumni from our fellowship program 
all our work with employers and of course our research. But right here, right now, in an often imperfect environment, I believe working parents do deserve support to develop and progress their careers in a way that works for them. Too often it is lonely in a leadership role with children. And I believe you deserve, we all deserve a supportive community of peers around us. In a hectic world, you deserve time and space to think what you want for your career and family life so you can make it happen. In a world where the privileged learn through old boys' clubs about how to progress their careers, we all deserve to access that information about what really gets you to your dream role so that we can implement it in a way that works for us, that doesn't require us going for drinks with the boss every evening uh, on long evenings out because we are, want to be there for our children. Those are just some of the reasons why I set up the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme and I would love for you to consider to apply. Here are some of the voices from our previous fellows. The Leaders Plus Fellowship has ultimately it's changed my life. The fellowship really has changed my life and I'm, I'm in the process of returning to work now and I can't wait. I can't wait to make a change, to put myself first to build up my team to build up those around me and to really make a difference thank you i completed the leaders plus program in 2021 as i was returning from mat leave with my second child it was game changing for me my advice to anyone considering whether they deserve such a support program is don't hesitate do prioritize, do fight for the time to get clear on why and how you will work it. I offer my absolute support and encouragement to anybody that's considering the program. Download the brochure from our website, leadersplus.org. And if it is of interest, apply by 20th March 2024. Hmm. Do you think Having your son has changed how you are at work. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, going back to what I said before, like how much I care about work versus how much I care about him has been the best thing possible for my career. Because actually, it's been my attitude to work that has got me further since I've had my son, because I've been a little bit more relaxed about it. And I've held it a lot more lightly. And it's a lot less. Yeah, I'm less of a dog with a bone about my career now. Because... Finn's way more important to me than my career. I won't stand for injustice. I will continue to work hard. I will continue to grow for as long as I can. I won't let it compromise my life with him or with my wife or with my friends and family. And that's not how it was before I had him. So I think he has been, I would never tell him this because, you know, he's got enough confidence as it is. (laughs) But, you know, he's made my career better. I will tell him one day. Interesting. I reckon maybe you were also able to take more risks because you weren't so hung up on every on winning in quotation marks every every argument or everything you went after, which means you could play a bit more? Or is that the wrong interpretation? Maybe, yeah. Maybe there was a little bit of that. I've had, you know, I was before I was at Royal Mail, I was at a consultancy for two years and it was during COVID and it was hard. I felt like when somebody asked me how my first six months has been, I said I failed hard every day. So I think even though it wasn't about a career progression thing, that was just about settling in and proving myself in a consultancy versus in a sort of marketing job for a brand. And so I don't think there is a certain, when you set yourself like personal standards of being 
you know, kind of doing a good job. I don't think having kids make it any easier in that respect, for example. What it has done is made me less, made me feel less like I need to get a promotion after promotion after promotion. And then I've been very fortunate. And I've also made my own luck in that I've had good promotions in in some jobs that I've been in or I've had an increase of scope and things. So I haven't like obsessively since I've had Finn, I haven't obsessively gone after promotions, but I have moved jobs when I think my career needs a you know, next step. And the thing I'm interested in is, so when you feel like you fail every day, and I think that happens in most people's careers, especially if they do big and risky things or new things, how can you come home and still have the energy to connect and be with your child and with your wife? That was really hard. And I think like, you know, that period in my life was during lockdown and COVID and homeschooling and and all the rest of it, which is a whole story of PTSD that we've all, you know, that so many of us went through. And I think that was really, I don't think I did a good job in that time, in that period at all of, of that separation and leaving my job behind because, you know, I was working in my bedroom or in my kitchen and I was trying to teach him in the middle of client calls. And so I did a terrible job of it in that, at that stage. And, and it, pervaded everything home pervaded work work pervaded home so in that particular instance I didn't crack it now I am confident going back to the confidence I am confident that between the hours of 9 and 5 30 generally speaking I have done a good enough job in my day job to be able to shut the computer there will be exceptions there will be days where I where I've got budgets or I've got you know something to prepare for where I'll you know after he's gone to bed I might work till I'm, I'm a night owl so I'm not advocating this in any way but I work better if I've got a particularly strategic thinking thing where I just need to think I work better like in the middle of the night so I'll work till three o'clock in the morning but it's not because I don't necessarily have the time to, to find the time of my day so anyway I set my boundaries now a lot better than I did then if I feel like I'm failing I um, emotionally am, haven't cracked how to not let that bleed through into my family life and I'm mid-menopausal now as well so it's even worse and you're a human, which <laughs> yeah. we all are. I think that's the reality of it. It's really interesting because I'm lucky enough to speak to many senior leaders um, and also obviously many middle leaders. And many, many do look back on every day mm. after putting the children to bed. And I don't want to tell anyone how to live their lives, but I think there's something that doesn't sit well with me in the pressure to having to do that. It sounds like you do it for because you want to get involved you just want to absorb yourself and you do it every now and then but it's not part of your routine it's very seldom now but that's I'm very lucky Mm. that that that's the case I also I go full thrust 9 to 5 30 like I you know Mm. I mean if I have to like if I've got a busy busy day or when I'm in a busy job I'll kind of give it my all when in my working hours and I actually have a bit of an adrenaline crash at the end of my day so now not specifically in this job but in other jobs that I've had I've very much like thrown it, you know, given it my all. I was at the Guardian for five years, absolutely loved my time there. And when I was in the office and when I was at work, I would really go at it. And I sort of got to a point where I was, oh, I'm done. Like I just haven't got anything left to give. Some days I just physically couldn't log back on because I was just so exhausted. And so I think it is also about your preference. Do you know, you know, some people might prefer to have a slightly slower pace during the day and then actually have a bit of heads a break and headspace to then log back in so I am never I never judge like how people want to work and I do try and make sure with my teams that they don't feel like they need to log back on unless they've got a flexible working agreement that says that because that's how they prefer to do it but for some people it really does work for them so that's I think you know horses for courses but 
you shouldn't feel, yeah, I agree with you that you shouldn't feel like you have to always log on. And you clearly are able to do a big job without doing that yeah. um, on a daily basis. I'm sort of lucky though, because I have a brilliant team. I'm not sort of lucky, I am lucky, I have a brilliant team. So I think the thing there is, you know, I actively choose not to get involved in things that I don't need to get involved in. I check myself out of a lot of decisions that I don't feel like I need that need my thing. And I have a really good relationship with my team where um, in our weekly check-ins for half an hour, my direct reports, I trust that they will bring up anything that they do need my input into and they that they can call on me. And I would much rather work in that way than sit in like four-hour governance meetings. So I have meetings in my diary. I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast. I have meetings in my diary that I just don't go to because they, they're not a sensible use of my time. If I get told off for it, then yeah, maybe I'll go back on. But honestly, I've never been told off for it yet, touch wood. Hmm. Actually, that's really powerful. And again, it would speak to this argument, like you say, really focusing on the things that do make a difference. Yeah, I had a university lecturer who told me that her principle was work smarter, not harder. And, you know, this kind of, sometimes it's 98% perspiration, 2% inspiration. Sometimes it's the other way around. Like you, I think when you're young and you're working your way up, it's very much 98% perspiration. But the balance shifts and it it's not so much about putting in the hours, being present at every meeting, writing every document, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think it's about like working out where you add value. And as you get more senior, sometimes it's about decision making. It's about like having the structures to say, give me the options and we'll make a decision together. Give me the options and ask me to make the decision if you if that's what it is. But I'm much more valuable in making decisions and giving guidance than I am at doing writing a marketing brief or sort of building a bottom-up forecast model or building an agile roadmap or running a scrum team. You know, there are people that are better at those things than me anyway. So like I try and employ those people and I'm surrounded by some really great people and have been, I've been so fortunate in my career to have have been surrounded by some really brilliant talents. And and I try to do is let them do all the work and I I just like swan in and make a decision and then swan out again. You're enabling them to do what they're really good at. And actually, they probably would hate it if you step on their toes all the time. But then sometimes I'm too hands-off for for some people as well. So it's about sort of managing that as well. Let's talk about your the people at home. And I've always been intrigued by what I perceive as a blank canvas that gay parents have. And you can tell me if that's the right assumption or not. But hetero parents, often there, there are pictures that we've all had since bringing brought up about what a typical dad looks like what a typical mom looks like what roles they're playing and I'm interested did you have were there any expectations about you know who would be going to the school plays and how it would all work or did you generally start from a blank canvas we had a parenting agreement actually before Finn was born with Finn's biological dad so that sort of agreed some terms which were you know that he would have him one evening a week and then the weekends occasionally and so we we sort of set that out but that quickly sort of evolved and then we do now still have like Tuesday evenings and Friday evenings he goes to his dad's and in terms of school we sort of play it as we find it but there are certain roles and responsibility that the four of us have fallen into so Finn's biological father is a teacher he's an assistant head teacher at a really good school so parents evenings we always make sure he's on the calls for example Triona is a sports fanatic and used to play football so she's the soccer mum so we've sort of fallen into fall into our roles and then then Vic who's Finn's other dad is data scientist so he does maths homework you know like there's just things that kind of we've sort of slotted into our roles and responsibilities I think over time those change as as Finn's you know Finn's needs change and and everything as well and then around sort of key decisions and discipline 
conversations and stuff, we all four have a conversation about it. It sounds like a magical setup from the outside. How do you make sure that you, I guess you continue to agree, given exactly the needs change? And sadly, I don't know how it was when he was a toddler, but as soon as you figured something out, yeah. they challenge you again. And I'm sure at that definitely. age, it continues. Definitely, definitely. And and I think even when he was a toddler, it was definitely the case. But it's not a dream situation. It, I'm so lucky and I love our setup and it, and it is possible I think the issue is just to keep talking and communicating. And I think it is with any relationship. It's just ours is a very sort of different dynamic of a relationship. And there's Tree and I, and then there's there's like the sort of the five of us. And so we're just really honest with each other. And we deploy Triona and Chen, who who have got the relationship for the longest. And they've been friends for the longest. If it gets too messy, they talk and they sort it out. And, they, and as Finn changes, we all have our sort of perceptions about how we bring him up. So we just talk and communicate. I wish there would be a simple magic wand that we could all, but it sounds like it's just good old-fashioned communication. So fair enough. I'm just interested in whether there are any decisions that you've made as a family that enabled you to continue to that very senior level, just in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, it needs to be recognised that we've got one child, four parents, and that just in the bandwidth of having four parents makes it enabled all of us to have six more successful careers than we, maybe we we would have had if we'd only had one. And and I appreciate how very lucky I am in that in that circumstance to have that. My mum, who who wasn't very convinced about the whole gay thing when I first told her, came around so much that she actually one day said said to me, "Oh, I think all children should have four parents." So I think it what it enables is just you know like basically he's not he's not with us on a Tuesday evening that like at some point that allowed me to work late in the office you know like that that allowed me to do that it allows like proper downtime because he's not with us on a Saturday morning so we can have a lie in <laughs> like you know when you when your toddlers are getting up really early and you can never do that and that actually that you know <laughs> yeah I'm sure like and, and you know sleep is sleep is important and sleep helps you bear up your resilience and your confidence and all of those things you know so I think like there's me- multiple ways that that's enabled me I think like it or not Interestingly, so Triona went back to work part time and, and it is, still is part time and did that to be able to do pick up and drop off and, and stuff like that. But I always insisted that I still did a some amount of it so that I didn't feel completely disconnected from it. So because she carried Finn, she sort of after her maternity leave um, had the flexible working agreement that she would have Fridays off and then she converted that to having three early finishes. So she'd finish early on Monday, Wednesday and, and Friday. How at different points in Finn's schooling takes himself to school now so it's a different story but you know when we were at that school run phase which is really tricky I would invariably do a lot of the morning drop-offs and sometimes share the pickup so and I chose to do that and I remember and this is something that actually I'd, I'd really like to get across to to the listeners that when I'd been offered one of the jobs that I ended up working at after my contract was through before I'd signed my contract I spoke to the hiring manager my boss and said I am not primary carer for my child, but I would like to do drop off and pick up three times a week for him. And I felt quite, you know, nervous asking that, but I felt like it was an important thing to say out loud. And so, you know, actually in this setup, although it's great and it enables you because you've got four parents, one child, like if you still want to be, you shouldn't feel guilty because you're not the biological mother that you can't like have play a role in your kid's life and you should be able to outwardly say that and not you know not hold back and I think whether it's a hetero family or whether it's a gay family I think you should be able to do that and just be honest and say I want to you know it's not I have to for me it was like I want to pick up my son three or four times a week please 
and I'm making another assumption here, but I think when you are at your level, the chance that you're negotiating your next job with someone who doesn't look like you, who perhaps is not, hasn't got a caring role, maybe is a stereotypical white male breadwinner with a wife at home. Yeah, that was exactly that situation, by the way. Exactly. And then what have you learned about negotiating with people like that who are not living it? So I think like hold the line is really important. Like go in very clearly about what what you think. And when I say hold the line, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't negotiate on it. But I mean like be very clear about what your principles are because you don't have to give up your principles when you negotiate. You just have to maybe give up like, you know, on a point or two. So the next job that I went to, I said the same thing and they were basically like, no chance, sorry, we can't do it. And I had a very empathetic boss who was actually in the same boat even though he was a man he had his kids on certain days and everything and I think you know there I actually came off a lot lot worse off than I did with the first negotiation with the with the man who had a wife at home who looked after who never had to worry about childcare. so I think it's not necessarily about like who you're negotiating with it's about being clear on what you're what you want and not apologizing for it to yourself or to them if you don't win if you don't get what you need you need to then tackle that as to you know is that the right job for you is it not but I think actually not worrying about like what their situation is too much because actually this is what I want. This is my this is my life. This is, these are my requests, and we're having a discussion about it. And I don't care if you don't understand. Basically, this is what I want. And a lot of people don't do these things because they're worried about losing out on opportunities. Have you lost out? No. So I had that moment in the job that I told you about where they said no, where I could have said okay, well, in that case, I can't do it. Like the job involved travel, the job involved like client visits and stuff. So they, I, couldn't, I couldn't be guaranteed that flexibility. So if I was a single parent, I couldn't have taken that job, for example. I was enabled back to our earlier conversation by Triona and Chetan and Vic to be able to take that job with the risk that I might not be in the country for like pick up on a Tuesday afternoon so somebody be able to do it. So yes, in that respect, yes. But I don't think I get passed up because it's the point of negotiation that's really smart. You don't necessarily... You know, you don't do the negotiation until you're offered the job. And it's, it's at that point. So you, don't, you won't miss out because they've already offered you the job. Then if you negotiate your terms, then it's a different matter. And you, if you don't get it, then that's not you missing out on the opportunity. That's just you missing out on the flexibility that, that you'd want. And then you can choose not to take the job. That's a very, very helpful perspective, Sonia. We're coming towards the end of our time together. And I usually finish the podcast by inviting our guests to share one or two very small practical things. So is there something small and practical that someone who's listening to this who wants to experiment with being more resilient could try out this week? Yeah, I mean, the hold it lightly definitely, I think is is good. I think on the small things, write it down, take a breath, you know, I think that is a really big thing. And then, you know, for me, it's talk it through, but think it through if that's your thing. But I think the point, of all of it is like don't react too quickly don't knee jerk which for me Mm. is really difficult because my instinct is always to knee jerk so whatever it is that you need to train yourself out of to not knee jerk that's important because resilience is is often needed because you're dealing with something difficult like that's that's sort of where you would wheel out your resilience a sort of suitcase of tools and I think often it's your reaction to the thing that's happening that makes you need more resilience because it's like, it's, it's the, oh my God, this is like the world's caving in. Or is it, okay, this has happened. Let me take a breath. Let me deal with it quietly, you know, peacefully, rationally, you know, and then actually you might need 
less resilience or you you know it, it I think it's which is less about like how to be resilient it's more about how to sort of deal with difficult situations but I think resilience is all knotted up with confidence and perspective and all of those things that we've talked about and so for me like just holding it lightly is like the core of what what I think is important it's sort of like if with perspective you can go into that conversation with your hands with your palms open and and you can have that conversation you can deal with whatever comes to you because you're like okay I've got my family my family are good that's my dog is is here waiting by my feet my house is warm you know whatever, whatever it is that makes you feel like that is not the biggest thing that's going to kibosh me. Perspective perspective helps me with resilience. So I think that that was three or four very big things instead of one little thing. Sorry, that wasn't a good answer <laughs> question. No, it was very thought-provoking. Thank you. And if people want to find out more about you and your work, where should they go? My work is the Royal Mail website and lots of ads, <laughs> ads out there. But yeah, LinkedIn. And I am always really up for kind of helping however I can so I'm always up for answering any questions connecting on LinkedIn you know all that so LinkedIn would be I suppose the place good place wonderful thank you very much Sonia it was great to chat thank you for having me thanks so much for having me on for a great chat really appreciate it thank you so much for listening today and a special thank you to all of those of you who have connected with me on LinkedIn in the last few weeks I really, really love hearing from listeners and hearing how you enjoyed the show. So it means a lot. Thank you so much. If you would like to be in touch in real life, do consider joining the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program. It is such a fantastic community of working parents supporting each other to find a way to get careers where you can make a big difference in senior roles, but also do that unapologetically in a way that works for us. And if you want to apply, then the deadline is 20th of March. You can download the brochure for the program on leadersplus.org. Podcasting is also quite a male-dominated environment. If you look at the top charting podcasts, especially outside of the kids and family space, very often it's all led by men. I can't remember the numbers, but it is very male-dominated. Just take a look at the charts. And interestingly enough, more females than males listen to podcasts. So another unequal space. And thank you for supporting this podcast by listening to it. But if you want to help us, I guess, have more influence in the space, then please do help by sharing it with your friends and by leaving a five-star review. Thank you so much to all of those of you who've done that already. Have a wonderful week.